0: Hey there, friends, and welcome to episode 157 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, I am joined by a special guest, the podcaster and invertebrate enthusiast behind Grubbing in the Filth, an invertebrate podcast here to help us leap into the world of the tiny menace, Fleas. Fleas. We discuss the intersection of entomology and Pokemon, blind leaps of faith, tiny little cowboys riding their trusty steeds up cave walls, the history of fleas on leashes, and so much more. It is time to get to know thy enemy. Just the Zoo of Us presents Fleas with Tom Sharp. it is ellen weatherford this is just the zoo of us your favorite animal review podcast and this week we have a brand new friend this is tom sharp say hi tom hello It is so nice to finally meet you. I really enjoy listening to the soothing sounds of your voice on (laughs) your invertebrate podcast. So before we get into our really cool animal for this week, let's talk about you a little bit. You work on this podcast about invertebrates. How did you get into doing this work?
1: Well, in terms of the background with sort of my fondness for invertebrates, Every person who's into invertebrates seems to have the same answer to this, which is going back to childhood and sort of finding things crawling about in the grass and in bushes and fond memories of knocking things out of trees onto big sheets and and looking at things and in particular pictures of beetles in encyclopedias and stuff so my fondness for invertebrates and insects in particular goes back to childhood i then sort of dropped off for a while which my dad ascribes to the rise of pokemon blue in my life
0: ah yes he thinks
1: that kind of (laughs) that killed off any kind of academic interests i had to his mind But then years later, after I sort of started rediscovering that interest and got back into invertebrates and started reading books about invertebrates and about insects, ants in particular quite often. And then during lockdown, two years ago now, I guess, we didn't have any outdoor space, any significant outdoor space, but we had a little kind of patch of grass out by the bins where we used to go and sit. And it became quite a a nice thing for me to just sort of lean into a hedge Mm. and see what was knocking about and take photos of things. And I had this interest in invertebrates that I wanted to sort of make tangible and if you're a an academic which I'm not you can do that you can make invertebrates a part of your life in a quite a meaningful way but I had I wanted to do something with that with that fondness so I thought well I I like podcasts I'll start a podcast so I started recording Grubbing in the Filth and talking about different kinds of invertebrates and having a chance to talk to experts and learning more and it's it's been a wonderful thing
0: Yeah, that is so parallel to what my experience with making our podcast has been, you know, just like out of a sense of passion and being like, I just have to get this (laughs) out there. Like, I just have to express this interest and this love for these animals. So I could definitely relate to that experience.
1: Yeah, it's, it felt almost pent up at a certain point. (laughs) It's like, you just thinking about ants constantly and just the desire to share that and desire to talk about it and just to, I don't know, I guess it was a time in our lives when we were all quite cooped up and wanted to, be able to communicate more. So yeah, it's been a real, a real pleasure.
0: It's funny that you mentioned Pokemon Blue entering Mm. your life and sort of, you know, filling the slot that entomology at that point had been fulfilling. Sure. Because I think I've probably mentioned this on many episodes before, but the creator of Pokemon, uh, Satoshi Tajiri, has said in interviews that he got the ideas for starting the Pokemon series from his childhood spent collecting bugs. Yes. I feel like since that passion inspired that, I feel like that resonated so well with kids who are into bugs.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's why my dad draws that connection in terms of one obliterating the other. Uh, but mm. yeah, there, there, is, there is a connection there, certainly. And, I, and I'd, I would put money on people that are into invertebrates and that are into animals that creep and crawl and, and that kind of subgenre culturally of animals. They tend to have a few things in common in terms of their view of the world. And there is a bit of a Pokemon bias there, I think.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You mentioned that you spent your childhood rummaging around for bugs and seeing what Mm. kind of cool invertebrates. (laughs) Uh, I think I, as well as a lot of our listeners, are from the United States and might not be super familiar with the types of invertebrates you might be likely to find where you grew up. What kind of little critters were you finding out there? Well,
1: I'm English and I'm from the the northeast of England and Britain's in terms of biodiversity, is much more contained than America or, or or most other places in the world, right? And also our our animals often, for me, they, they seem to be slightly sedate and underwhelming in keeping with the national character of Britain.
0: Um, <laughs> well, to you maybe, because they're so familiar to you, sure. They right? sure. might get
1: boring over time. I think our largest carnivore is the Eurasian badger, like that kind of thing. But in terms of insects and things, what's so exciting about insects to me, and this kind of part of why I like them so much, is because, and especially so for a child, they are completely immediate to us, and they surround us, right, so you can't really avoid flies and ants, and you can't really avoid, you know, you turn over a rock, and you find all kinds of things, and worms are in the soil, and you can't miss them, but in terms of things that I was associating with, it's your ground beetles, and your aphids, and, and your, your house flies, things like that, but then also things on, on TV, like mantis. we haven't got mantises in the UK, but they were such exciting animals, and I had, like, a, a video called DK Eyewitness Insect, and it had shots of mantises and, and, and all that kind of good stuff, and that, that clearly has some kind of originating influence, right? So, yeah, the, the stuff you'd expect, bees and, and wasps, and the things that every child and every person is familiar with, but part of the pleasure of, of invertebrates is having that immediacy of the animal, but then taking a step further beyond familiarity into kind of, okay, I see bees all the time, what are bees up to? I see ants all the time, what are they doing? What is an earthworm? You know, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Or you see one and it's doing something you don't quite understand. Mm. And you need to kind of like dig around to see like, what was that all about? Like somebody just very recently sent me a video that their friend had taken of a butterfly that was like doing something a little bit unusual. It was like, looked like it was like poking its nose into like a lawn chair. And my friend sent me this video and was like, what is this butterfly doing? Like, I don't understand this. And that gave me an opportunity to say like, oh, they're looking for moisture. There's probably moisture Ah, caught in the tracks of, of in the cracks of the chair, right? So then we got to like talk about like, what are butterflies doing? And then we got to talk about things like mud puddles and like I got to tell them what type of butterfly it was so I think just like taking the time to really stoop down and like appreciate what the what the bugs are doing at that level it's an opportunity to learn a lot about the world around you
1: exactly I think your podcast does this really well in terms of having a chance to examine something and take the time to look at it, right? Because, you know, everyone knows what a butterfly is, but not many of us spend much time thinking about them all, actually trying to say, okay, how does that butterfly fit into the broader world of insects and what does it do and what, we all know its life cycle, but we don't necessarily, I keep saying, take that further step, but take that further step into how its life cycle works and and how its life cycle is shared between different insects. And I don't know, I think that, I think that when you choose to notice things and you choose to engage with things at a deeper level, you you discover so much and it just makes the world a busier and brighter place, you know?
0: It really does. And I know that this week's animal may be a big ask for some people, especially in my part of the world where it it is just like a fiesta for fleas down here, a A fiesta, maybe. fleas are just, I would even go as far as to say that from the human perspective, fleas are typically considered a menace, especially for anybody that has pets, you hear fleas and you probably just cringe. So I'm hoping that today we can maybe get past that because for the vast majority of people, the only context you've ever heard of a flea is in having to deal with a flea infestation or fleas bites or something negative Mm. so i'm hoping that maybe we can bust through that a little bit and like look at the flea on less hostile terms
1: (laughs) right so i think we can do that to some degree i mean fleas yeah humans have an adversarial relationship with fleas there are very few interactions we have with fleas that are positive. And, you know, we have to be a bit careful here because fleas, it's a tricky one for me, right? Because I want people to like invertebrates. And I want people to, so so many people have an, a negative connotation around all invertebrates. And for the mass, mm-hmm. vast majority of invertebrates, that's not warranted. And they are, they're friendly little people and they they knock about in the grass and they, they do us no harm. Mm-hmm. Fleas are among, they're some of the few invertebrates that I could bring to you where I can say, actually, do you know what? We don't have a good relationship with fleas, and it breaks my heart because they do cause a lot of suffering, and they have caused a lot of suffering around the world. And typically, you know, in economically disadvantaged places and in more rural places, fleas have a worse effect on people. So, I don't want to try and win people around to the flea as an animal. What I do think we can do is kind of use the flea as a thing of saying, do you know what? Everything is interesting and everything is worth thinking about. And fleas, you know, we know a few things about fleas. We know they jump, we know they suck blood but there's a lot more to know. And I think there's there's great value in that in, in just saying, all right, let's just learn about fleas for a bit.
0: Absolutely, because I think a lot of people probably don't really wanna take the time to learn even what a flea really is, sure. right? It's just a little black fleck on your pet that causes mm. you a massive headache and hundreds of dollars. So I'm hoping that today we can maybe zoom in on the flea a little bit and actually learn what's going on. So for people who are listening to this and they're like, you know what? I've never really sat down and really looked at a flea. Mm -hmm. What is a flea?
1: Well, a flea is an insect, and an insect is a kind of arthropod. So if we sort of zoom back a minute before we come back in on the flea, arthropods are animals which have a hardened exoskeleton, and they have jointed legs. So millipedes and spiders and crabs, all these animals are arthropods. They have that hard exoskeleton and jointed legs.
0: They're the ones with their bones on the outside.
1: That's them. <laughs> and when we close in a bit further, within the arthropods, in fact, the majority of arthropods are insects. You can tell an insect pretty easily because it has six legs. And another characteristic of insects is that insects have a body plan made up of three kind of main parts. So they have the head, the thorax, where the, the wings and the legs are, and the abdomen, which is the, the rear end of the insect. And insect itself, you could roughly sort of translate or think of it as in sections or cut into sections. Oh.
0: I'd never really thought about the word like that, but that's true.
1: (laughs) Within the insects, you have various orders of insects. So you have the flies, a one order, and the butterflies and moths make up another order, and the the bees, wasps, and and ants, and sawflies that that's another order. And each of these orders are made up of animals with common characteristics that share a a common ancestor, and each one has its name. So the flies are the Ditra, which means two-winged. Because flies have two wings, and they have two kind of what used to be wings, and have become balancing mechanisms. So they're two-winged. The lepidoptera is the butterflies and moths, leopard being uh, scale, and terra being wing. So they have scaly wings. That's If you look at a butterfly wing up close, you see these scales. That's how they have these patterned wings, as opposed to the kind of translucent wings of most insects.
0: Yeah, they're kind of like pixels on their wings.
1: They are, very much so, and very nice they are too. The fleas make up an order called the Siphonaptera, and if we look at that in chunks, that's siphon which is a refers to the mouth parts the way they feed they suck up blood they siphon at blood you know and then aptra a being without terror being wings so these are relatively unusual in that fleas are wingless insects oh. there are a few other wingless insects there's some flies that are wingless there are some moths that are wingless but most insects have wings and, and fleas are quite unusual in that respect
0: A lot of ants typically don't have wings either, too.
1: Sure, but within the ant species, so the the queen will still have wings and the the male will still have wings. The queen will then rip them off and eat them for sustenance and things, but... Good for her. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the way to do it, right? But yeah, fleas, completely wingless. And some people would actually challenge what i just said because fleas descend from an order called the scorpion flies which is quite a cool name Ooh. they are they're the mechoptera yeah it's worth looking up a scorpion fly actually because they're they're quite fun to look at they have as you'd think a kind of scorpion like tail on the back they don't sting it's a very small order of insects and that's where the fleas come from the scorpion fly has a a tube-like mouth it, it pacing sucking mouth parts and they're kind of scavengers, and they? drink from plants and things, and fleas are essentially scorpion flies that have evolved to be blood parasites, blood feeders. So some people would say that fleas are a kind of scorpion fly and tie them into that group. Some people would say they derive from them, but that's where the fleas come from. And the scorpion flies, like I say, are quite a small order. Fleas quite a small order, but fleas fleas are worldwide and they've been really, really successful. And they're they're one of the few insects actually that turn up in Antarctica. Really? Yeah, there's not many. There's not many. In fact, I mentioned the wingless flies, one of the the only insect I think that is from Antarctica is the, the Antarctic midge, which is a wingless midge fly. Quite a cool little guy. They can dehydrate themselves and things to, to prevent themselves from freezing. But yeah, fleas turn up in the Antarctic where they parasitize seabirds.
0: So if you were thinking that you could escape fleas by just fleeing to Antarctica, mm-hmm. bad news. Nowhere is safe.
1: Well, especially if you're a, a bird. <laughs> <laughs> a a full mob. Don't believe.
0: bother. Don't bother.
1: But yeah, fleas, they generally parasitize mammals, like 95% of fleas parasitize mammals. And within the ones that parasitize mammals, uh, the majority parasitize uh, rodents. Parasitize being these animals that feed on and depend on other animals for sustenance and can't feed otherwise.
0: Right. And in a way that is harmful to their host.
1: Sure. But unlike unlike a parasitoid, fleas aren't killing their horse they are weakening them and they are taking from them but they're not feeding on their horse to the absolute detriment of the horse you know
0: right yeah that's true i mean i mean i have seen some critters that were so just covered in ticks Mm. that the ticks had like exsanguinated them to the point that they were not even able to live anymore and it's funny i had i guess i had always assumed that fleas were related closely to ticks because they're so functionally similar <laughs> to yes, us yes. that you usually hear about them combined together. You hear about fleas and ticks. And lice, right? Yeah. With pet care, that's a big part of it is their flea and tick prevention. Right. Um, Which they're usually always lumped together, fleas and ticks. But the way that they work is very different.
1: It is. They're also, I mean, in terms of taxonomy, fleas are insects and ticks are arachnids, I think. So they're, they're, Like you said, functionally, they do similar things, but they're they're pretty distant in terms of relationship.
0: Yeah, and like the way that they get around and the way that they reproduce, like a lot of things about the way that they work is different. Mm -hmm. It's just that they are both things that bite you and suck your blood. So (laughs) things that to us were like, same thing. So if this is your first time ever listening to this podcast, what we do is we review animals by rating them out of 10 in different categories, the first one being effectiveness. So this is how well the animal is physically adapted to doing the things it's trying to do. So I don't know a ton about what it is a flea is trying to do (laughs) other than, you know, latch on to my dog and drink her blood. So uh, Tom, I'm excited to know, what do you give the flea out of 10 for effectiveness?
1: I'm going to give it seven out of 10. This has been a bit of a challenge. For me. I've been thinking about this for weeks in terms of like, how do I, how do you rate the flea and things? Cause it's not the most flashy creature of all times. But I mean, you said that, you know, what fleas do is they latch onto pets and they drink blood and pets is, is quite specific, but you've essentially got it right. That is what fleas do. So in terms of their effectiveness, it's all about how well can they latch onto things and. How well can they ensure they can drink blood? That's basically it, right? And they they do a pretty good job of it. First thing is, if you think about a flea and kind of a picture of a flea, you're imagining a flea viewed from the side, right? Right. And when you think about a beetle, you're imagining a beetle viewed from above. So fleas are always pictured that way. And it's because they they are laterally flattened what that basically means is if you imagine like a sphere of clay or play-doh in your hand and you push it down against the table you've created like a flat shape and that would be a dorsally flattened shape like a beetle or a cockroach but a flea if you had that same sphere of play-doh and you sort of clapped it between your hands creating a a shape that is narrowed from left to right that's the shape Mm. of a flea and they're that shape because they need to be able to move through the hair on an animal (gasps) So they're kind of their whole body plan. They're kind of keel-shaped, like a boat. They're sort of—it's it, that way because the flea needs to be able to push through hair and it needs to be able to make its way across the host animal.
0: Uh. it's so funny because yeah I've seen these pictures of them from the side about a billion times and never seen a picture of one from the front and I don't know why that just never crossed my mind to even think about like I never even thought about what they might look like from the front but that makes so much sense (laughs) now that you say that
1: they look really goofy from the front it's worth looking up at some point um (laughs) But yeah, so, so they can move around the animal through the fur, through the feathers, whatever. They're also, since is not going to endear anyone to the flea any further, they're quite greasy animals. They've got kind of points on the head that distribute grease so they can sort of shoulder their way through all greasy and lush.
0: Oh, great. They're self-lubricating. Love it. They
1: are. So <laughs> in terms of thinking, like I said, they're not the most endearing animals. They are. They're greasy. They're furry. They suck blood. You know, they're pretty grim. When you look at them also, they're, they're quite spiny. They're, they're quite hairy animals.
0: Yeah, they're pointy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've got, on each sort of segment, they've got these backwards facing spines, almost like a porcupine's spines. And there's kind of a bit of debate about what that might be. So it could be that the spines are there so that they're hard to dislodge from the animal. Mm. There could be a preventative measure, kind of protecting them from the animal if the animal's trying to sort of dislodge the flea and things. But yeah, in terms of what a flea looks like, that's kind of, that's how it suits its purpose, right? But the main thing about fleas that everyone knows about fleas is that they jump, right? they're very very good jumpers and they do that by having these enlarged back legs but me and you and this is this won't be a surprise to you me and you can't jump like fleas both <laughs> in the sense of we can't jump as far as they can but also the way we jump is fundamentally different to them so we would jump using our muscles and propel ourselves that way fleas don't do that fleas they have a, a protein called resolin within their legs and this is like a rubbery pad i guess And what a fleet does is when it wants to jump, it compresses and distorts that pad, and this material can store an enormous amount of energy. So it's sort of latching its legs and compressing this essentially spring inside its body, it's not shaped like a spring, but functions like a spring, and then releasing its legs and releasing all this elastic energy, and that is what's throwing it up into the air and they're they're pretty good jumpers they can jump some of the better ones can jump sort of 200 times the body length maybe
0: goodness which is
1: pretty impressive right
0: so it's interesting it sounds like for humans and for mammals i suppose in general Mm -hmm. the effort is coming from the thrust of propelling ourselves forward but for them the effort is put into building the tension precisely and then they just let physics do the (laughs) propulsion for them yeah
1: yeah, I mean they don't—they don't see well at all. They can see enough to know when there's a shadow above them, but that's kind of it. They—they they haven't got very good eyes. They haven't got compound eyes like a dragonfly would. So they are just sort of—it's a wing. It's not a wing and a prayer. They've got wings, <laughs> but it's a wing and a prayer when it comes to fleas. They're just—they're latching themselves down, hurling themselves in the air, and hoping for the best, basically.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, it kind of makes sense if like a dragonfly or another small bug with very good eyes would be like a jumping spider or something, but they have such good eyes because it helps them hunt bugs, yes. which are small and moving fast, so they need to be able to see them very well. But I mean, a flea is hunting what is to them a giant. It would be yes. like if we were trying to latch onto a, a nearby island. Yeah, precisely. Like, you don't necessarily need spectacular eyes to be able to see no. what you're going for there no and, and they don't i mean we have to mark fleece down a little bit here
1: in terms of if we compare them to other insects they haven't got the best jump in the insect class there are insects that jump better so there's a, a frog hopper if you've ever seen like you sometimes call them spittle bugs so when you see grasses that have like little sort of foamy patches on them that's where a spittle bug has laid its eggs they are the best
0: i just googled it there it's go. really cute they're <laughs> fun aren't they are not
1: they they are closely related to an animal called a plant hopper. These are the animals that have the only known occurrence of a essentially mechanical gear system in the natural world. In their back legs, they have essentially like a cog-like mechanism, which helps them stabilize their legs. They get good marks here. So the flea has to take a bit of a hit there.
0: (laughs) Because it's not the best.
1: It's not the best, but it's very good. And it's very, you know, it's a capable jumper.
0: I'm I'm looking up the plant hopper that Mm -hmm. you said, and it is... So cute! <laughs> it's adorable! Oh my goodness, look at this little guy! Well again, it
1: knocks the fleet into a cocked hat in that regard, right?
0: I have to ask you this, because I'm looking at pictures of plant hoppers, and I'm so sorry for getting us off track. Not at all. But some of them have these weird wispy things coming out of their butt? Yes, they do! What is this? What am I looking at? Um,
1: it's like a filament, right?
0: Yes! It looks like a cordyceps fungus which <laughs> yes. i'm pretty sure that's not what it is but it looks like they're infected by a cordyceps zombie fungus
1: but yeah they extrude these these weird kind of like you say it almost looks like a fungus and you'd think it was but these are things produced by the, the insect itself it might be to do with kind of collection of moisture or something like that i i couldn't in all in all honesty say but you know yeah get on google have a look at a plant hopper because again i'm, I'm talking down the flea because it is they're pretty <laughs> mingling looking but plant hoppers are quite exciting
0: they are wow that's really cool so I have extensive experience with fleas, unfortunately. <laughs> I live in Florida. Uh, there are so many fle- there are fleas everywhere, especially in the summertime. Summertime is flea time. And we're in summer right now, so mm-hmm. there's obviously fleas everywhere. And my dog, in particular, is allergic to fleas. So if she gets one on her, Her whole body breaks out and just she's so itchy and her skin gets like really inflamed. So uh, fleas have a highly contentious relationship to me personally Mm -hmm. because just the one can really wreck our whole (laughs) like one flea can throw a wrench in our lives in a major way for us around here. But one thing that I have noticed from you know my experience of constantly checking my dog and my also our cats in the past for fleas is that once you do find one the way they jump is so incredibly fast Mm -hmm. Like, it's not just about the distance, it's about the speed. Like, it is almost like they teleport and (laughs) spawn in a new location. Like, it is so incredibly fast how quickly they're able to cover such a... It's like you'll be looking and you finally see one, and then it just instantly blinks out of existence. (laughs) And it's impossible to follow with your eye. Like, there's no way to tell where the thing went, because it's just suddenly not there anymore. So that is something I do find impressive about the fleet, is how quickly they just like despawn. Yes. It looks like they just like a clip out of existence. Well, how the
1: flea jump functions was sort of the, the research into it was pioneered by a, a woman called Miriam Rothschild. And yay, yeah, they have to use these incredible high speed cameras to, to have a look at how it does what it's doing because like you said, it, it's like a click of the fingers and the flea's off. They're, they're quick little
0: chaps. They are so I have to give them I have to give them like a little bit of credit for being like imperceptibly fast. Yes. Which combined with <laughs> combined with how poor you said their eyesight is
1: can you imagine the experience from their point of view
0: a complete hail mary for them they're like well i'm just (laughs) gonna jump in any direction and i hope i land somewhere good i can't see i can
1: jump incredibly fast and incredibly far you know i'm gonna just hurtle myself off into the blue and hope for the best it must be i'm not sure if fleas have any sense of of fear i hope for their sake they don't because it (laughs) must just be dreadful that said not all fleas can jump there are some fleas that that jump very poorly or don't jump at all and these are the fleas that parasitize birds and burrowing creatures and, and bats too reason being if you're a flea up in a tree on a bird and you can't see anything and you jump that's it you're gone right you're going to throw yourself off in a space <laughs> and that that's it you know you're you're then miles away from where you ought to be same with the ones that live in you know mole fleas for example they don't need to jump because they live in a burrow and they can sort of clamber around and they're very happy with that
0: i suppose when you're that small you probably can just jump out of a tree if you want to, because I think at that size, you really don't take fall damage, do you? No, no, no.
1: <laughs> Probably not. But then, but then, of course, how do you find the birds again? True. Because they can jump well, but like the best flea jumps, like, I don't know, like 30 centimeters high or far. So in terms of the distance to their body size, it's enormous, but they're not jumping back up a tree. Sure.
0: <laughs> that's like, that's their whole day, is yeah. getting
1: back up that tree. Well, getting back up things, is, we'll, we'll come on to that in a bit. The other point in their favour in terms of their uh, effectiveness is that fleas do have a a variety of life cycles. Certain fleas go through quite major changes in their life. The female of a flea called Tunga Penetrans, sometimes called the the Chigo flea. Again, a flea that has a really unpleasant association with humans and and causes a lot of suffering. But this is a flea where the female, most fleas, right, they they feed on the blood of things and they they wander around. But Tunga Penetrans, the female, rather than just drinking from the surface, burrows into the skin. (gasps)
0: no don't do that
1: i'm afraid so and once she's through after about one or two days then she starts to drink blood but then the body it it goes through something called neosomy, where it's basically invertebrates or or insects rather they have exoskeletons so when they grow they have to molt but for for this flea and for certain other insects it goes through a, a growth without molting and as such it kind of stretches its body out and it goes from being the smallest flea to kind of the size of a, a pea. Whoa. And in doing so, you see its whole body engorging and... Oh, uh, it's not nice to look at. They cause a lot of suffering to people and to animals. But once they've done this, they are... Their, that's where they live. They aren't active creatures anymore. They live within the skin of its host.
0: Home sweet home, baby. There you
1: go. And lay eggs and just die. And that's that's it for them.
0: Gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And, and cause a lot of illness and things. But an, another point in kind of favour of the flea, or some fleas, these these tunga fleas that can do this is that because the the engorged female the the neosome female once she's inside the skin and she's all swollen up and she's laying eggs because she's so much bigger than this sort of newly emerged adult she will lay eggs that are bigger than the newly emerged adult and as such the the larva of the flea doesn't need to eat anything because it's so well provisioned by this enormous egg so it's a completely non-feeding larval form so You know, like I said, I've not said anything that's going to endear you to fleas necessarily, but they can can do a lot of relatively revolting things. Maybe the thought of the flea taking a leap of faith, you know, warms you to them, but I'm not (laughs) trying to win anyone around here.
0: No, I feel that. One thing that really like sets them apart from ticks to me is that like, once you've got a tick on you, it latches on and it stays in one spot. Sure. And it's just latched into that one spot. It's going to stay there until it's ready to unlatch and move on to someone else. But like, once you got a flea on you, it's infestation time. Like it is, you're going to have a bunch of fleas on you (laughs) real quick. But I feel like functionally, that is one way in which like fleas and ticks operate very differently. Like you got one tick. Okay. You've got one tick. That's just one tick to deal with. If You got fleas. It's going to very quickly become very many fleas.
1: (laughs) You got fleas, right? They they are, they're group customers. They're not particularly social, but they, they do hang around together. They lay a lot of eggs and they, they cause a lot of
0: fuss. Hey there, we are gonna take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we are gonna talk ingenuity and aesthetics for fleas, so stick around. It could happen to you. You're all grown up now. A professional adult with diverse interests and hobbies. And one of those hobbies is video games. You just can't help it. They're so good now. If that's you, we're here to tell you, you are completely normal. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Schreier, and I'm Kirk Hamilton, and together we form Triple Click, a podcast about video games. If you think you might be a person who likes video games, we hope you'll give Triple Click a listen. Triple Click, new episodes every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Hey, kid, your dad tell you about the time he broke Stephen Dorff's nose at the Kids' Choice Awards? <laughs> <laughs> In Dead Pilot Society, scripts that were developed by studios and networks but were never produced are given the table reads they deserve.
1: When I was a kid, I had to spend my Christmas break filming a PSA about angel dust, so yeah, being a kid sucks sometimes.
0: Presented by Andrew Reich and Ben Blacker, Dead Pilot Society, twice a month on MaximumFun.org. You know, the show you like, that hobo with the scarf who lives in a magic dumpster. <laughs> Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess we should, you know, move into Ingenuity for the flea, Mm -hmm. because I I have to admit I'm pretty curious as to what flea behavior even looks like. I can't can't say that I've ever really given a lot of thought to flea behavior, but uh, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, Ingenuity for us is how well the animal is adapted behaviorally to like solving problems it faces or evading predation or doing anything like that. Like what would you give fleas out of 10 for Ingenuity?
1: Fleas aren't some of the great thinkers of our age, so I'm I'm knocking down a few marks. I'm giving it a 5 out of 10 for ingenuity. Fleas. But then the thing is, they don't need to be great thinkers because their job is to jump on something and drink its blood.
0: Sure, it's a large target. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You jump, you hope for the best, you drink some blood, happy days. That said, they do have some behaviours. My sense with insects and with invertebrates, probably all animals, is they're probably doing a lot more than we give them credit for. Mm. But their behaviours are so abstracted from our own experience the world is so different to ours and obviously you can't ask a flea what it thinks what it's up to Were that you could (laughs) but i reckon they do more than we think and i reckon most things do more than we think but they do they do do some things that we can observe i mentioned earlier that fleas if you if you feed on something that roosts high up and you're a flea you might need to climb and they can climb a bit but i also mentioned the parasitized mammals mammals and birds right so why do you think a flea would be found on an earwig
0: like on an earwig
1: clinging to an earwig yeah
0: uh, I mean, is there even anything on an earwig that they could even eat? I mean, they don't have blood, right?
1: No, they're not. They're not feeding on them. The reason they do it, and this is this is good fun. It's it's only been observed, I think, twice in the wild in sort of uh, Malaysia and Indonesia. But there's a flea that feeds on bats, and the larva and the, the eggs are on the floor of the cave where they're feeding on sort of bat droppings and things. But the adult needs to get up onto the bat on the ceiling,
0: uh-huh.
1: and they're hitching a ride on the earwigs.
0: No, shut up. Are you kidding? That's the theory. They're using, they have mounted, like, yeah. <laughs> transportation.
1: Exactly. It's, it's a, it's a artillery-based thing. They're, they're <laughs> clinging onto the, the airwig, and up they go. Like a horse. <laughs> Precisely like a horse. Or a car, whatever you want. But they're they're clinging onto the airwig, they're, they're going up the, the side of the cave, and then getting onto the bats from there. Like other fleets, they can climb and stuff, but it's a nice shortcut, and it's a pretty leisurely way to get around.
0: That is so interesting because it implies that the flea would have to recognize the earwig's capability to get up there and then think like, oh, if I just latch myself onto that, it'll take me up there. Like, I feel like that does imply a level of both recognition of what the earwig is and also like foresight to be Mm. like, I need to go up there. This thing's going up there. I'm going to join him. I think that is like a multi-step thought process Mm. that is really like interesting.
1: I find it really difficult thinking about insect behaviour and stuff and kind of coming to terms with... with, Because you said, like, is the flea thinking about the earwig? Does the flea see the earwig and think, you know, that's my ticket to the old top of the cave? And (laughs) many would say, no, it's an an instinctual thing, or it's just how they've kind of evolved to behave. And and I get it, and I I can never quite get over in my head to what degree... Like, the things that we ascribe to thought in ourselves, to what degree could we call that just a sort of innate thing? I I don't know. So I don't want to be too generous to the flea. I don't think it's, like picking out its favourite airwig before it goes up I don't think it's got any sort of (laughs) particular investment and again this is a pretty rarely observed thing and who knows maybe we've got the wrong end of the stick maybe the earwig and the flea it's just a chance thing who knows but if that is the case it, it does imply some degree of like expertise in the flea right
0: yeah you don't think at the bottom of the cave there's a little stable that's got like a bunch <laughs> of earwigs tied up to it and the flea comes up and picks out their favorite earwig and they're like oh yeah this one there's an old buttercup <laughs> and then ride her up to the top of the cave <laughs> i don't think
1: so i'd like to imagine it and I'd, i would watch the cartoon but i i I doubt it somehow, but it's it's a nice thing to see. There's you can you can look up the picture of the little flea clinging onto the earwig there.
0: I have a mental image in my head of a flea with a little cowboy hat, sure, that's riding an earwig off into the sunset. Yeah, a Red Dead Redemption <laughs> kind of like scenery. It's
1: it's probably worth saying they're not sitting on top of the earwig with legs akimbo. They're kind of clinging to the leg, right?
0: <laughs> they are to me.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it, do you know what? Some of them probably are. But they are, they're playing on the leg or the antenna or whatever and up they go.
0: Can I get a flea-haw?
1: <laughs> Very good. I'm sure we can get a few more flea puns in this episode. I'm, I'm working on it. We're at
0: two so far. Two so, so far. It's the rule of threes. We got to hit our third one before the episode's over. Well, it's more than two. So it's its
1: not, it could be one in a million, which is a little, <laughs> I just did a stealth pun for your, for your Welsh speaking listeners, which we're going to move quickly past because that's a little easter egg in the podcast. Anyway, so fleas behaviour. There are some other things. I know you've you've enjoyed before talking about parental care.
0: Absolutely.
1: Well, here we go. So again, this is not going to really endear people to fleas because they're not loving parents and, and they're not very affectionate. They don't look after their young in that sense. They are. The insects go through complete metamorphosis. Some insects, you know, they have an egg and then they have a nymph, which basically looks like a little version of the adult and then it stages its life it gets a bit bigger by shedding its exoskeleton and getting a bit bigger and a bit bigger and a bit bigger and that's things like cockroaches and the true bugs they develop in that way fleas are hollow so they have a an egg a larval form and then an intermediary pupil form so they go from something kind of worm looking through a, a pupa to the adult they have that kind of major change so how does the flea or does the flea provision its young in any way and it, it sort of does the way it does it is. The flea adult feeds on blood exclusively, but the flea larva doesn't. They, some feed on blood, not many, but most feed on kind of detritus and, and bits of skin and, and all kinds of lovely stuff. But they also feed on mum and dad's gift, which is the adult droppings. So
0: oh. the flea
1: adult will do its business and that is, to some degree, an investment in the young.
0: Okay. Alright. I mean, like they were already gonna be pooping anyway, right? They like... were, but I
1: can I can ratchet this up a little bit, right? Because in some fleas, the protein content of the feces, and again, we're not I'm doing nothing for the PR of the flea here, but the blood the protein content of the feces is higher than the protein content of the of the blood coming from the host animal. So that does imply some kind of not awareness, but some kind of on some level, it is a form of provisioning the young. By having this protein-rich frass, if you want to call it that.
0: Oh, frass?
1: Flea poo.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, Shakira Magit told us about that. It's a good word, that that's right? That's what you call, like, insect poop, mm-hmm. if you want to sound fancy about it.
1: It's a delectable thing for the young.
0: Great, so when they're not feeding on blood, they're feeding on poop. Yeah, it's... yeah, yeah.
1: All bits of old skin.
0: Glamorous lifestyle. Yeah, yeah
1: it's not. <laughs> it's not. But then, no no insect feeds on, like, consomme.
0: You just, they,
1: <laughs> you get what you're giving them. The other kind of thing that I think there's not enough sort of of this going on to to warrant big points for the flea, but there is some fleas, rabbit fleas, fleas that primarily feed on rabbits, they appear to have some kind of, they're getting some kind of information from the hormones in the rabbit's blood. So the life cycle of the flea is tied to the reproduction of the rabbit host. So the flea is drinking blood and then before the rabbit gives birth, that's when there's a lot of hormones present in the blood. And that's what kind of triggers the flea's development in terms of attaining maturity. And following the rabbit's giving birth, the fleas, the adult fleas upon the rabbit, then they move off the adult on the little one. So there is some kind of information transmission going on and some kind of reading of cues from the flea, but it's rare. It's not a lot of it about, but maybe there's more, I don't know.
0: That is really interesting because they have to be kind of like in tune with their host. Exactly. And like understand what's going on with their body. Yeah. That's really neat.
1: And then when the, the rabbit kitten is about a week old and the hormones are kicking off again, the flea will move back onto the adult. I can't, you know, give you much detail about what the flea's up to there. And <laughs> I guess maybe the kitten is sort of less likely to dislodge the flea. It's a, a vulnerable target. But yeah, fleas do have some kind of you know, we said they don't they're not great thinkers, they're not sure philosophizers, <laughs> but they do have some kind of in this instance awareness of what's going on in the world.
0: I mean that's important, right? Like knowing how to navigate the world around you, like mm-hmm. taking cues from your environment and knowing like how to respond to that. That is really neat.
1: But it's rare. Sure. And there's you know, it's only been seen in these in these few rabbit fleas. It probably exists in other fleas, I don't know, but you know, the thing about animals and invertebrates is that unless we're looking for something, and even if we are looking for something, we we might not find it because The investment you have to have in investigating these creatures. There's a lot of things that are out there that we just don't know about because you can't, people haven't got time to sit and look at a flea all the time, you know?
0: True, yeah, because, I mean, it could be going on right under our noses, but it's just at such a scale we're not typically perceiving the world at that, you know, we'd totally miss it.
1: I I think five out of ten is, is, is reasonable. It's, it's dead (laughs) centre. That is fair. Well, I'd be interested to know what animal you've got that scored the lowest.
0: Uh, it was probably the scaly foot snail, the snail that lives in hydrothermal vents at the bottom of the ocean. Um, and that one was for a very specific reason. And that is that the bacteria that lives in their body that helps them like process the iron sulfate from the water around them that lets them like, you know, tack it onto their bodies and Mm -hmm. use it as armor the bacteria that does that basically excavated their entire body to the point that they even carved out their nervous system right and like left basically just like the faintest echo of ganglia like you couldn't even consider it a brain at that point like where basically the snail is left as essentially a vehicle for Mm -hmm. the bacteria that live inside of them so like i mean nothing the paper that i was reading about them just basically described them as like purely a vessel for the bacteria that live inside them. So I think that one got maybe like a one.
1: <laughs> yeah. I do I feel like that some days though. So I think we shouldn't let it cut against this the snail too badly.
0: What are any of us, but just a, a vessel for the bacteria living inside of us. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. What is a man a miserable little pile of secrets? There you go. Oh um, there
0: you go. What is a snail a miserable little pile of bacteria? <laughs> yeah.
1: But it's still around so it's it's not I mean, the panda. Have you done pandas? Because Oh, yeah, for sure. Shouldn't pandas basically be eating meat, but they just love bamboo too much? And now they have sort of welcomed their own scarcity?
0: Yeah, a little bit. But kind of gosh, we just, humans just tend to find them just so darn cute that we're willing to go to extreme mm. lengths to uh, make things a little cushier for pandas. There you go. Well, speaking <laughs> Which, of... Which fleas don't have that problem. Well, I was going to say, speaking
1: of cute, should we, should we rock it into aesthetics?
0: Yeah. So fleas do not have that PR boosting cuteness. I guess I should let you be the judge of that because this is your rating. But um, the last category we rate animals on is aesthetics. So pure and simple, how nice is this animal to look at? Really have no idea which way you're going to go with this one, Mm. but I would love to know what you give the flea for aesthetics. I've
1: thought long and hard about this because beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Right. And... I don't want to judge the flea too harshly because the flea does what the flea does. I'm going to give it a six.
0: That's not that bad.
1: Um, yeah, well, I, I think it wants to be on the positive side of things. I can see some appeal in the flea. I'd like to take it back in time if that's all right.
0: Yeah, paint me a word picture. Let's go
1: back to 1665, <laughs> if we may.
0: Absolutely. So
1: in 1665, there was a, there was a book published called Micrographia. It was this book by Robert Hooke. This was the sort of the dawn of microscopy, the art of looking through microscopes, then called flea glasses, by the way. And Robert Hooke, the, probably the most famous image in that book is of a flea. I'd like to read you what Robert Hooke said about the flea.
0: Oh, please. Which I think may,
1: may help me defend it. <laughs> he said, the strength and beauty of this small creature has it no other relation at all to man would deserve a description. So he saw in the flea a lot to commend it. And I have to, I have to agree with Robert Hooke.
0: He's seeing past the contentious relationship with people, looking at it for what it is.
1: That's really interesting, actually, because Robert Hooke, I mean, this is 1665, right? So this is heyday of plague in Britain, and mm. the flea is linked to plague. But that, that relationship wasn't known then. Oh, yeah. So Robert Hooke is looking at these animals that hadn't been seen in detail before. I mean, fleas, fleas range from about, is it an open 0.1 millimeters up to just like, the, the really big ones are like, just over a centimeter, but you've got to think no one had ever seen a flea in detail before until the invention of this new technology. So he's looking at fleas with fresh eyes and he's saying, I'm going to read a little bit more from him, he's saying, as for the beauty of it, the microscope manifests it to be all over adorned with a curiously polished suit of sable armor, neatly jointed and beset with multitudes of sharp pins shaped almost like porcupine's quills or bright conical steel bodkins. The head is on either side beautified with a quick and round black eye. So I think he gives the flea a fair crack of the whip, right?
0: Yeah, it really leaning into the strengths. I think,
1: <laughs> and and he did not like the louse. So the flea was was admired in that sense. I think there is something to admire. I think that my favourite aesthetic quality the flea has is its they're called pronotal and genal combs. And if you have a look at a, a dog flea or a cat flea, which look kind of similar, they have these structures, these spines on their heads. The pronotal comb are these spines that kind of go backwards from the head. They look almost like a, a slick back hairdo. Yeah. Or a, a Jacobean ruff, maybe. And the, the genal corn, which is these spines that descend around the, the front of the flea's head, they give it a kind of Mr. Burns overbite look. Which
0: <laughs> it's like a moustache. It's a big, yeah, pushy moustache. Exactly.
1: And they've got these lovely blunted heads and they've got these little, you know, Robert Hook called it a quick eye. And I think never have got something to recommend. them. I, I think compared to a lot of insects, they, they almost look not mammalian, but they've, they've got a certain something to them. And and they, I think their look matches what they're like, right? Mm. They're kind of greasy. They're kind of like <laughs> sneaky looking. And I don't know, there's, there's something to them. I, I'm, I'm quite taken with fleas visually.
0: The plump shape, I think, is kind of disarming. Like once sure. you see them up close and you see that they're so like, they're so round and Full of blood. and plump, but like in a way that, I don't know, I feel like when you look at something like a wasp, or a spider perhaps. Like usually the more slender ones mm. of the bugs tend to look a little bit more intimidating. And exactly. this one is more pleasantly plump.
1: When you look at a flea's head up close, it looks like it's been caught in the act. It's kind of like Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. And yeah, they've they've got a certain cheekiness to them. So I think I think six is a is a fair goal for the flea.
0: I would like to commend them for their buff and hairy legs. Yes. Because it does kind of look like, in some illustrations, in some pictures, it does look like they have just, like, giant, jacked, complete, like, bodybuilder legs with long, pointy hairs on them.
1: Well, they do. I mean, the back legs the back legs are, are massive, right?
0: Yeah, they're extremely built. <laughs> These things are
1: jacked. <laughs> they are, they are. We can stray away. I mean, this is, this is not necessarily in the spirit of the thing, but if we stray kind of briefly into sort of human relationship with fleas, have you ever seen a, a pulgus bestidas? A Mexican dressed flea. I'm Googling it. Have a little look at
0: that. Um, what is, what am I looking at? What is this?
1: So. A little uh,
0: dioramas?
1: Yeah, these are fleas that have been given little
0: outfits. Oh so my word. It's it's,
1: <laughs> it's kind of troubling to look at. I don't know much about the, the kind of cultural background to this, but basically it's people making little costumes, often like married couples. So you can see these little pictures of, they're kind of fleas in a little matchbox and they've been given a little wow. little hat, a little jacket, and it's absolutely repulsive to look at, but it is quite exciting.
0: I am so impressed by the craftsmanship it would have required to make a little outfit that would fit at this scale, you know? Yeah. It feels like one of those things where you see like the Mona Lisa painted on a grain of rice or something. Like, that's what it feels like to me. It's so little.
1: Well, you, you said it's impressive and you're kind of on the right track in terms of And that relationship with fleas, because back in the day, watchmakers and people that made like fine mechanisms, they wanted to kind of show off their craft, right? So people that worked with microscopic structures and things started trying to like make bits of metal and and make structures that could be built with the flea scale in mind. And it's from that process of kind of working with wire and fleas and and watchmakers and things that we get the phenomenon of the flea circus.
0: Ah. Oh, okay. I thought this was just a thing in cartoons.
1: No, I'm afraid not. The <laughs> flea circus. Um, what people do is they, oh, did, when um, Pollock's Irritans, the, the, the human flea, was more kind of widespread, is you're getting a bit of wire, a bit of gold wire, and you're making a loop, and you're tightening that around the flea's neck, tight enough that it can not escape, but it can still drink blood, and you are attaching it to little chariots, and you're attaching it to various little contraptions of great artistry and things, and you're making a... Horrific tableau to entertain people with.
0: Wow, that is a bit morbid.
1: Well, the flea's all right. The flea still feeds. The flea can feed on the um, I don't know what you'd call it. It's it's employer.
0: True. But the
1: flea will feed on its arm. So because <laughs> the the thread is still loose enough, they can drink blood. If you if you look up um, flea circus chariot, you can see some pretty troubling images.
0: Okay, let me see here. I I for real. Oh my god. <laughs> Are you kidding?
1: I, I can't endorse it. I can't endorse it because, like, the flea has caused untold misery.
0: Right.
1: But the, the sheer, the insult of attaching it to a little, a little worked chariot just feels wrong to me. I can't help but sympathise.
0: It does almost seem like this is a way that some people have figured out how to turn the flea's relationship to humans symbiotic. Yes. They're like, "Well, you know what? If the flea's going to be on me sucking my blood, I'm at least going to make a couple bucks off of this."
1: Yeah, I may as well. <laughs> I may as well craft a revolting miniature circus. It's the thought we've all thought.
0: Fascinating. But yeah, the
1: flea circus is a thing. I don't know if we're going to count it towards its effects. You know, the Flea Charity has a certain Jack and Napery to it. I don't know what you'd call, what you'd call it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but Interesting
0: for sure and i doubt that the appeal of it was like oh come look at our beautiful adorable fleas right like with a lot of other animal exhibits like the appeal of it is like come look at this really beautiful animal we have like Mm -hmm. tigers or elephants or whatever but i think this is more like look how impressive it is that we were able to construct something for this little tiny tiny little creature and it's not necessarily about the creature themselves being particularly endearing it's just like oh look how weird (laughs) basically like look how weird we can be
1: yeah (laughs) Look, what a terrible and odd thing I've done.
0: <laughs> Everybody, come look how weird I am.
1: Do you know what, though? I think quite a substantial amount of kind of human cultural history could be described as look at this terrible thing I've done. So. <laughs> <laughs> but in this case, it's a little bit of revenge against the flea.
0: Flexing how unhinged you can be. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> While I've been researching this whole thing and sort of trying to learn more about fleas and stuff, the process of reading lots about fleas and thinking lots about fleas does make you feel like quite an odd person. Mm. But, like, imagine introducing yourself to someone as the proprietor of a flea circus. It's not a good look for my money. But then they were very successful.
0: I feel like if you introduce yourself as like the operator of a flea circus, or if you really just introduce yourself as anybody with any regular close proximity to fleas, anybody you say that to is immediately going to take a few steps backwards, of right? Course. Of course. <laughs> People are going to maintain a radius.
1: And you can say, whoa, don't worry, my fleas are safely secured with wire. <laughs>
0: Don't worry, I keep them on a leash. It's fine. I
1: bet you've leashed the fleas, have you? Um,
0: <laughs> Completely normal behavior.
1: Come on, mind, see the fleas. But it's even insane. This there's a there's a part of me that worries that I have been taken for a fool. As I understand it, the flea circus is a real thing there are some pictures and stuff but you're right there is also the flea circus in the form of a mechanical thing which is sort of playing the idea look at this circus that appears to be in motion it's fleas and it's not really it's just a mechanical thing so Uh. i'm hoping i've not been taken for a ride by the flea circus but as far as i can tell i haven't
0: what an incredible grift Mm. (laughs) hundreds of years long culminating in this
1: me me describing the flea circus
0: Oh, delightful. I guess I really always, like, I had seen this depicted in cartoons, and I just mm. assumed, I was like, surely nobody has done this in real life, right? No. <laughs> surely this is not something from reality.
1: The flea has a bit of a heritage, and kind of, because it's a, an animal that was so closely associated with people, we're kind of pretty aware of it, and it's it's its impact mm. on us contradicting its size has been... Fuel to to poetry and fuel to to all kinds of things, you know, in in kind of our cultural setup. So the flea is about... The flea circus, by the way, one of the reasons it's died off is because there are so many less fleas about these days in terms of being around people. So if you want to to run a flea circus, it's quite a struggle to find big enough fleas to to make it happen. I'm not saying that directly to you if you want to run a flea circus, but if one wanted to run a flea circus...
0: Millennials are killing off the flea circus industry.
1: Gen Z, take note, <laughs> if there's any kids listening.
0: The flea circus industry has gone the way of Applebee's and, I don't know, Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't know. There you
1: go. Um, I'll try and think of a British version. Woolworths.
0: There you go. I do hope that maybe somebody that came into this, I understand if you come into this hating the flea and you just want to like hate learn, like like mm. know thine enemy sort of thing, uh, and you know, that's fair. Fleas do cause a lot of damage to humans and human-adjacent animals, too. Mm-hmm. That being said, they're impressive in their own way. They have some stuff going on. They've got their own world. It's the fleas world. We're just living in it.
1: We are it, in some degree. <laughs> um, yeah, I, and that's true of every animal, right? Every animal, if you subject to enough scrutiny, you, you learn things, and that, that's the exciting thing, and I would encourage anyone it to is. be curious about these creatures.
0: And if you are curious about invertebrates in particular and you've enjoyed what you've heard from Tom here today, you've got to go check out Tom's podcast, Grubbing in the Filth. Can you tell us a little bit more about your podcast and where people can find it?
1: Sure, you you can find it kind of in all the regular podcasty places, Grubbing in the Filth Invertebrate podcast. Each episode is about a different kind of invertebrate or a different sort of invertebrate adjacent theme like transformation or fear of invertebrates or something like that and it's it's basically just a celebration of invertebrate life and a chance to Mm. explore what they are and each episode I talk to someone who's kind of has a degree of expertise with the insect or the invertebrate they're talking about, as well as sort of sharing cultural things to do with these creatures, which might be like uh, poems written about dragonflies or religious texts that draw parallels between the Holy Trinity and woodlice and wow. all these little stories from our interactions with invertebrates, which are, it's a, a storied past. So yeah, Grubbing in the Filth, any way you find your podcasts, it's uh, on Instagram at Grubbing in the Filth and on Twitter at GITF podcast. So if you do like invertebrates or you think you'd like to know more about invertebrates, which I should probably just say, is it an animal that a backbone? It's an informal informal category. But come and jump on board. Come Flea-like. Come and leap onto my podcast.
0: And, <laughs> we did it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Draw, take sucker of, of the flea facts. And the, I haven't done a flea episode. This, But yeah, there's, there's all kinds of stuff there if you're interested in crabs or dragonflies or, or phobias or, or spiders or whatnot
0: yeah uh, two things so first of all I'll have links to all this um, in the episode description so anybody can just scroll down and click through on the links that are uh, below this episode but also two things so first of all we've had a couple of mutual guests T. Francis has been on both of our shows T. came on and talked to us about tarantulas so if you enjoyed T's episode on tarantulas on our podcast go check out T's episode over on Grubbing the Filth and also Elizabeth Mills I believe has been on y'all's Oh, really? show um as well as ours yes but both
1: people that you know you could they're both i, I would describe them as the real deal like T <laughs> just T likes spiders and is surrounded by spiders and yes elizabeth lives and breathes the rock pool so real passionate people
0: It's so nice to, it feels validating, I think, to hear just like people that are passionately interested in animals that really don't get a lot of spotlight and don't get a lot of hype, but it is just incredibly validating to hear people like share knowledge and expertise (laughs) on very underappreciated animals. So if that's if that's something that you like that we do on our podcast, uh, that is, you know, you get a heaping dose of that on Grubbing in the Filth. And also I did want to say something else I really like about your podcast is that you always kind of introduce, when you're talking about an animal, like I, I know I listened to like the the Harvestman episode, mm-hmm. and like I know in the past I also listened to like the Ladybug episode, and a few others, and I really like that when you, you often introduce your animal with this Sort of prose almost about them like you your introductions to them are always so like they feel affectionate and Mm. like it's poetic and always paints the animal in such a beautiful like whimsical sort. it gets me so like in the right headspace to learn about a very to me mysterious animal and i just i always love the way it's set up it's also just like easy to listen to you know very chill vibes well i'm
1: glad you think so and Uh, I'm a a great admirer of your podcast as well. So yeah, thank you so much for saying that. I think there's a lot of philosophizing that can be done about insects and about invertebrates. And I think that there's a lot to say and a lot to learn. And, you know, most animals are invertebrates, right? So to deny them the spotlight, that's gone on for long enough. So let's let's have a good old chat about them.
0: Yeah, look to your left, look to your right. If neither of those people is an invertebrate, you're the invertebrate.
1: That's exactly it. Oh, look upon yourself as well.
0: Yeah, (laughs) you got some in there too. Well, Tom, it has been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your knowledge about not just fleas, but the wonderful world of invertebrates. Um, highly encourage anybody listening to go check out your podcast and hear more from you. And we will talk to you later. Thank you so much.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye now.
0: Thank you so much for listening, friends. I hope that this episode has deepened your understanding of our humble nemesis, the flea, and along the way, fostered an appreciation for the tiny world of the invertebrates around us. If you liked what you heard today, it would really mean a lot to us if you left us a five-star review on your podcatcher, or tell a friend. Tell them something you learned here today. Send them our way, the more the merrier. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have a Discord server that is full of just really delightful folks to chat with. Links to everything will be in the episode description below. You can send me an email at ellen at com if you have a cool animal you'd like to hear about. We'd like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other wonderful shows like the ones that you heard promos for here today. You can check those out and learn more about the network over at MaximumFun.org. While you're there, we'd love it if you'd consider signing up for a membership to keep us going along with the rest of the shows on the network. And finally, we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music. It fills me with joy every time I hear it. And trust me, I hear it a lot. It simply never gets old. That's all for today. See you next week. Thanks, bye.